You're listening to the Candid Comms podcast with Rachel Miller. Join me every week for practical advice and inspirational ideas to help you focus on all things internal communication related. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, I have a special guest and a special task that we're going to be completing during this episode. So I am delighted to welcome Keith Riley to the Candid Comms podcast. Say hello, Keith. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Sorry, that's a bit better. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Keith, can you share with us who you are, what you do, where you work. Yeah, so my name is Keith, uh, or Keith Riley. Those of the folks that have known me long enough, it's Keith Riley Whittingham in the past. I'm a communications exec for a company called DWF. We're a global law firm with four-ish thousand people in 35 different locations around the world. I get to do all sorts, lead mostly on DNI stuff, CSR, finance change. Um, yeah, it's good. So lots of acronyms, so diversity and inclusion, corporate social responsibility, yeah. anything with an acronym. <laughs> that's me, yeah, that's, that's my Keeps there, love it. So I mentioned a special task that we're going to be doing during this episode, and it's something that I've not tried before uh, while recording a podcast, so my wonderful producer Debbie West is at the helm to keep us on track and to let us know <laughs> if we're making too much noise, but... During this episode, listener, Keith and I are going to be building some very special Lego kits because, well, I think we've just both loved Lego, but most importantly, it's because this conversation today is going to be focused on what internal communicators need to know about creating a more inclusive environment inside our organisation and particularly inclusive internal comms. So what can internal communicators do to ensure that we fully engage our LGBTQ plus colleagues fully? So that's the mindset behind this episode. And we thought that we would bring it to life by both building the brand new Everyone is Awesome kit. We're not sponsored by Lego, but be very happy to be. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Send as much as you want. (laughs) Keith and I are both huge Lego fans. I do have the privilege of working with them through all things I see. Um, Keith, do you want to describe the kit that we're building today and why it is special? So this kit is very special because it is the Everyone is Awesome kit. So for the folks at home, this makes good radio, but I'm holding the box up. It's the uh, kit to celebrate Pride Month, which is typically in June. And it's created by a great guy called Matthew Ashton, who's the Vice President of Design for the Lego Group. Arguably, I think he's got probably one of the most exciting jobs in the world. But he created this little Lego set and had it on his desk and at the point where um, the folks, at, the good folks at Lego said they wanted to do something to market, he was able to say, well, I've got something right here. And and that's where the kits come from. So it's quite exciting. I had uh, my finger on the purchase button uh, almost from about four o'clock that morning from where I woke up. Yeah, I'm excited. It's a really interesting set, I think. It's nice, that's, isn't it? So mm. it's a... It's a set that celebrates and recognises the wonderfulness of diversity and the importance of inclusion. And it's a rainbow kit, so it includes the colours of the rainbow and it's got brown and black minifigs as well. And it's got the colour of the trans flag. So it's just a beautiful representation for me visually of the fact that everyone is awesome. So that's the 
intention behind our episode today. And I'm really grateful to you, Keith, for being open to have this candid conversation in particular and being open to discuss this topic. I think I certainly learn from you and I certainly benefit from your openness in talking about your career and, and the way that you see the world and, and your life. So I wonder whether we can jump in and if I can ask you about your journey into internal communication. How did you discover the wonderful world of internal comms? My journey in was by accident. I think a lot of people say that, but I don't have uh, any degree in comms. I don't have any, I actually have very little education at all after school. I left as soon as I could, which is not a very good advert, stay in school kids, but I left school as soon as I could. I didn't enjoy school. Uh, for many reasons, and I think we'll get into them actually, but so I skipped A-levels, um, only had a couple of GCSEs. Um, the one uh, the one GCSE that I got the highest mark in was a B in English speaking and listening, which yeah. I think it's the speaking and the listening that ruined all of the other GCSEs for me, so, <laughs> but what what better... What better uh, qualification to get them than speaking and listening for a, for a comms person? But I ended up doing lots of different jobs and ended up at a call centre in Preston. And uh, the guy that was my team manager at the time had um, not long done his marketing degree. He was looking for his career in communications and that was it. he was pursuing that. And I remember talking to him lots and lots about it and eventually he got the job and then because of the friendship I got to see all the things that he was getting involved with and you know it wasn't just the glitz and glam of events and and award ceremonies it was you know it was everything from going to all of our different sites having to understand loads about the different policies that we sell and it was just all that stuff and I remember thinking that that sounds like something I would love to do whether I can do it or not I don't know but it's something I'd love to do I kind of copied him really he he then moved on to be so he was comms exec he then moved on to be comms manager and I applied for the job three times maybe and got turned down every single time and it was on the fourth time where I applied and got turned down that I kind of gave up on everything so I'm not doing it no one loves me no one wants to give me the job you only want people that have experience you're not willing to go out on a limb for a guy in between the, the third and fourth rejection um, I started looking at different jobs and doing lots of different things for the company thinking well if, if I don't have the skill in the background at least I can learn as much about this company as possible to then give myself a, a bit of a fighting chance and after the fourth time I decided that's it I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be in comms anymore I'm not gonna pursue it I should say and then I got a comment with the same team I had a comment for two months doing working on an event and supporting them on an event that then extended into something like nine months and then at the end of that nine months I was really getting stuck into quite a lot of comms work helping with the just the 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 real basic stuff like collating the newsletter, the weekly roundup email and um, answering the inbox and things like that. But it allowed me to get stuck into a load of different things and one of them was to support on a whole change program. Now the sad thing about that change program it included a load of redundancies. So the secondment that I had had been removed through the redundancy process as well as my role that I would have been going back to at the end of this comment. So what a I, way to learn about comms. My well, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> From the inside out there, Keith, goodness. The, the very first thing I got to work on was my own redundancy, but it, it wow. shapes you. <laughs> it really does Indeed. shape you. So, uh, and that's kind of the end of it. I spent another five years there, jumped to another company for a couple of years and two and a bit years ago, I ended up at DWF and it's, I love it. It's, it's just one of the most rewarding jobs I think that you can have in an organization. So, nice, yeah. good on you. 
I feel like we should open. I want to open our little bags. It's so going to make lots of noise. Can I ask you about your your process for Lego before we get into the serious the serious topics? So I've got little bowls when I when I make <laughs> Lego. I've actually got at home. So I'm recording this from the All Things I See Hub, my office in West London, and. When I'm at home, I have bowls, which are meant to be used for dips and, you know, crudités and <laughs> etc. But actually, more often than not, they're used for sorting Lego in my household. So I have a nine-year-old daughter and six-year-old twin sons, and we all love Lego. And we use all of our nice crockery and <laughs> dip bowls for sorting the bits. So, Keith, are you a sorter or are you a shuffler? What do you do? Yes. We've just done the, Neil and I have just done the Friends Central Park set. So we bought that um, and did that. And Neil's very much a lay out the pieces, get them all in order, um, which is called nolling for the folks at home. Do you know that? You taught me that. It's yeah. K-N-O-L-L-I-N-G. Because I put a picture on Instagram of, of me having sorted out all my bits for, I think it was for the grand piano that I was making. And you said, oh, you're nolling. And I said, yeah. I don't, don't know what that is. It's, uh, it sounds really offensive, doesn't it, calling somebody a nolla? <laughs> but, um, yeah, the process of laying everything out in order and, and by size and shape is, is, a, is called nolling. So I am a noller, but I'm also a shuffler. So I will put things mostly in order, but I also do skip stages and stuff and try and race ahead. So I do get, um, I get told off if I do it with Neil. So the last, other than the friends sets, if one of us has bought a Lego set, we've bought the other person a Lego set as well, just to keep them out of the way. So you've, you've mentioned Neil. Can you introduce Neil? Neil yeah. Who, so who is Neil? Officially, Neil is my mm. fiance. Woo woo. But Neil, Neil's is my uh, yeah my fiance. So I met Neil two years ago. Neil lived the other side of Manchester to me, and yeah, he's my fiance. We get married next year. I'm not going to give you the date because there's far too many comms folks inviting themselves already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so date and location oh. will remain a mystery and a secret. Um, I'm waiting for my bridesmaid's invitation. You'll get it. Don't worry. Um, it's. <laughs> Wedding, do you know, dress, we actually talked about colours the other day <laughs> and I joked, I said, we, if we have teal, that's going to be copyrighted, so we have to invite a few different people if we have teal. <laughs> Love it. But teal yeah, was my wedding colour, actually. Oh, it's obviously the, the colour so of all the things beautiful. I see. So I got married back in 2010 and it was the colour of my bridesmaid's dresses and it's my happy colour. And I, as I'm sitting here recording this, my background is all completely teal. I'm surrounded by teal paint. It very much is the colour of joy for me. It is one um, of my favourite colours. Good choice. So in thinking about all things diversity and inclusion related, feels like things have taken a really big step forward inside organisations, which is brilliant. Yeah. But obviously the job isn't done. What are the kind of things that you're seeing organisations do that you think they could do better in terms of from an LGBTQ plus perspective and, and how they're engaging their employees? Can I ask for your, your views? Mm. So I think there's I think there's two aspects. There's the inwardly aspect, which is what happens for employees and, and what organisations do, and then the outwardly aspect, which is what organizations say they do for employees and often I think there can be a discord but because mm -hmm. it's such a polarizing subject but it's not polarizing it doesn't have to be what it can be because you're talking about somebody's existence and not something you know objective like a, a value or a you know a vision statement you're actually talking about somebody's life and at the core of that the right to exist people can get really nervous about vocalizing it and whatnot so some organizations get away with saying they do a lot more than they do 
based on the few conversations that I've had and, and some friends that I know. From my perspective with the company I work for, DWF, I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that it, it, I believe it's really, really diverse and welcoming. You know, we do lots of things throughout the year that not everybody attends, in, you know, we don't force it on people, but the lots of events and webinars and, uh, you know, panel discussions and things like that. Recently, we, we do things with our clients, so we did an International Women's Day collaboration with our clients. You know, we do, do lots of those things, which are great, and that's that helps to tell the outwardly story. That helps to go against things like your employee value proposition and, and entice people into the organisation. But underneath that, there's a lot of unseen work, and sometimes, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's intentional. You know, I don't, I don't. I think there's very, very few businesses out there now that would outwardly ignore or, or restrict um, LGBT members of staff. But there's the unseen stuff that often can go amiss. You know, recently, and in, in, in so recent as last year, I think we took an entire audit of our our policies and procedures at work to make sure that they reflected the organisation that we have. So we do have people in our organisation that are non-binary or are at various stages of transitioning. And so we made sure that our family-friendly policies specifically referenced gender-neutral terminology. So rather than maternity leave and paternity leave, it was parental leave. Mm -hmm. And and it's, it's little things like that that seem almost a given because it's just part of our conversations, you know, you say, oh, I'm on paternity leave, I'm on maternity leave. But actually for that one individual, it actually, that makes a huge difference. Reading that their, their expression, their, their version of parental leave is valid. Can, can I ask whether that, was that something that was done in collaboration with employees to, to check? Because I, I feel like the language piece is so important and I hear what you're saying about, you know, not saying maternity or paternity and finding terminology that's appropriate, how, how do you know when you've, you've got it right? Is it, is it about testing it with employees, asking for feedback? What, what, what was that process like? It wasn't done in, I mean, there, were, there are no brainer things, you know, that we can easily make changes such as the change of our policy words and, and, and terms based on what we know is right. So you can use best practice externally to just advocate that change and make it happen. But we didn't know it, it. I wasn't part of that conversation because it was before I really got stuck into our, our diversity and inclusion agenda. But it was done in line with, we have a group of people at exec level, which are our executive sponsors. So a range of people that sit on the board who are all tasked with individual aspects of our diversity and inclusion strategy all the way through to different members of staff and what we call our networks. So we have across the five strands of our diversity agenda, or strategy I should say, we have race and ethnicity, LGBT plus, and the rest have completely escaped me, uh, mental health, age, and and another one which is completely out of my head. Um, but each of those has a network, each of those has a core sponsor, and each of those features people from around the business in different roles, different backgrounds, um, and each of those are, a sh are checked and measured to make sure that they reflect the diversity of the business. So the LGBTQ plus network isn't just people that are or would class themselves as LGBT plus. It includes 
allies it includes, straight people it includes, people from different race and uh, ethnic backgrounds, just to ensure that we're in the conversation we're reflecting absolutely everybody. So I think the work is in setting it up, so if you don't have something like that, the hard yards are all up front, mm -hmm. but what you find is that you have people, those kind of committees only attract the kind of people that are passionate about it and want to see change. I like your top-down so, approach though, I like, I like the fact that there is accountability um, at a really senior level where you have exec members aligned to each of the five strands of that strategy, I think that's really smart. I think the conversation is too important to be left just within the networks, it feels like for all of those areas are so super important to create conditions for our employees to thrive, that they deserve good quality attention and focus at a senior level. It feels to me like how you've got that set up. It feels like the, the, the right approach. I wonder if we can think about the opposite in terms of, you know, for us as internal communicators, what are the mistakes that we see companies making? Like, what, how do people get it wrong? I think ultimately the, the risk is, you know, we're really fortunate that we have currently, unfortunately she is moving on very shortly, but we have a wonderful diversity and inclusion manager whose name is Sarah, and she is exceptional. But what, one thing that she does really, really well is engage everybody. So she has an incredible background in it. She knows, she knows her stuff. Like, you know, I, I try and be very knowledgeable with things and think I've got it all sorted out. And then she will quietly whisper in my ear and go, well, you're not quite right. Um, you know, she's, 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 there's nothing I would say that she doesn't know, but she doesn't rely on that. And mm -hmm. she, she does check how people feel about things, whether she's capturing things right. You know, we're going through a, a change in our pronouns and making sure that pronouns are reflected on our email signatures and things like that. Can you share what that looks like in terms of what, what that is and, and why is that important? Yeah, so um, gender pronouns, you will find people call them preferred pronouns, but the correct use is gender pronouns, and I'll differentiate. A pronoun is, for me, it's he, him. So Keith is, he is. I'm quite comfortable for you to describe through that pronoun my gender identity, which is, which is um, male. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, similarly, the opposite is female. You know, that, that's the, the binary gender, male and female. There are people in the LGBTQ plus community that may have been born male or the terminology is assigned a male gender at birth who within themselves know that that isn't correct um, and believe that isn't correct for them and they will choose to transition through and present as the opposite gender. So that's a trans man or a trans woman transitioning from the opposite gender um, they too, upon transition, take the presenting pronoun, which will be male or female. In the middle of that, you have an entire spectrum. And one of the buzzwords, or one of the, the kind of explanation terminologies is gender is a spectrum. That means that in between male and female, there's an entire expression of different understandings of an individual's um, gender. People are non-binary, people can be neither, people can be both, people can choose to present as a, as, a, as a female one day and male the next. The reason I said preferred pronouns versus gender pronouns is because a preferred pronoun would suggest that all of this is preference. 
so restricts mm. the the fact to male and female and that everything outside of that is a preference a preference of the individual and that's not quite right it is it, it gets really into the kind of semantics for some people but by saying a gender pronoun you're basically almost saying to the individual i recognize what you tell me you are and i will I will I will observe that in our conversation, and the, one of the so most. That's really important, isn't it? Like it for, is for, for internal communicators, particularly. We think about we're so focused on language choice, and we're so focused on you know even taking a topic like redundancies. We think yeah. about describing them as job losses, and we talk about you know we're so conscious and mindful of the impact of our words and the the word choices that we make. So when you take somebody's identity, which is mm the most important thing at the core of you know it's who you are and how you talk and how you how you show up in the world then i've certainly noticed that there's been an increase increasing focus on pronouns and even you know to the point at linkedin where yeah i used to have mine in brackets i used to have her and she in brackets and that's something from i've learned from from you from discussions that i've heard you talk online and i decided to put mine on there to make it a regular thing to do to be able to put your pronouns where you show up online yeah and recently linkedin have now changed it to be a function where you don't have to put it in brackets next to your name you actually can then log in and choose to do that and yeah. you see that he he or she or they and it's i think that's so important because actually now it's given visibility of the fact that there's not i mean there was never a one-size-fits-all but it's it's moving these sorts of discussions into everyday use and everyday identities and how you show up online and how you how you state your your gender so it feels like from my perspective as you know as someone who is helping organizations to to communicate i'm curious always to understand what what are the right things to do and how can we i think we're so mindful of not offending anybody and I think to listen to your employees and to ask for their advice and guidance, to tap into your internal networks where you're checking for understanding with people is to say, does this make sense? Have we got it right? I wonder whether I can ask you, and this feels like a bit of a, an odd question to ask, but do you feel a pressure to be the expert in this? And I know that's ironic because we're having this, you know, this discussion where I'm, I'm picking your brain I... and asking you to help me understand. Do you know, it, it's funny because... I'm in a unique position with, with, with my sexuality and, and this is a really daft book. I have a, a, a get-out-of-jail card, if you like, in that I don't have to be because, you know, my, my, my sexuality, my, who I am now, it really is four years old. So I get, yeah. to, I get to often step out of the conversation and go, listen, I, I'm learning as well, I don't know enough. But I'm a newbie, I'm a newbie. That's a cop-out, right? <laughs> I see it in other people. I see my... my my friends and colleagues uh, and industry colleagues in, in other organizations, you know, and you know what, Harriet uh, Smalls says it best in, in terms of the ongoing conversation around whether, uh, do we use BAME, do, don't we? You know, she, she, she is actually an expert. She's incredibly knowledgeable and I learn almost every single tweet that she, she puts out, I learn something, but people will enter conversations with us, whether, it, and, and just presume, okay, you know. And the danger is that you have that person in there and expect them to be able to, to know everything. I can talk to the world about what it is like for a gay man to live 
um, a closeted life and even follow a, a straight life, get married, have you know a wife uh, and, and whatnot, and come out later in life. I can talk to that very niche spectrum of the entire coming out you know story and not every black person can talk to every single element of ethnic minority conversations and yet I think the boardroom conversations often look to one person to be able to tell us about every person and it's it is dangerous sometimes I think it's the only hope that boardrooms have they get the only person willing to talk about it and so then they rely on them to be able to know everything and for those to uh, for the, can't get my words out for those times where somebody has asked me to speak in 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 that way about everything else or about other things i've tried to do my research first so i will try and get an idea of the agenda or you know what are we talking about i think i think it, it is in, incumbent i think on us if we have a seat at the table and i know that's such a horrid buzzword for our little industry but if we, if we do have an open door little. and we bring us to go in for our little, little community I say little yeah. because because it's like a little village, isn't it? Everybody, everybody <laughs> knows everybody. I think um, the global comms community is amazing, and I think I'm really proud to be part of it. And I I I think anything we can do to support each other and share advice with, with each other. And I'll I'll link to Harriet's Twitter profile in the the show notes at allthingsic.com forward slash podcast if people want to follow Harriet online, who Keith just mentioned. I think it's really important that we support each other. And I think in particular, you know, on topics like how do we do the right things by our employees? How do we make sure we're not offending people is, is so important. And I think the, something that I really love doing inside organisations is drawing out people's stories. So if I think about how to share stories inside an organisation about equity and about fairness and about mutual respect for our people, Mm. You naturally do it through, or hopefully, you naturally do it through a diversity and inclusion and belonging lens for me. And it's looking at how do we amplify the voices of our employees, but how do we not feel like, and I talked about this in season one where I described I had a, uh, a female train driver when I was in house in the railway and I felt like I used her constantly. And we, we had this conversation yeah. together because it was always her. Whenever I talked about, you know, drivers, I always asked her to comment. So... How do we get that balance right in terms of when we're trying to talk about LGBTQ plus issues? How do we encourage our, our people to feel comfortable? Maybe it's, that taps into psychological safety in terms of being comfortable to mm. be yourself at work without fear of retribution or negative impact. I'll share a link to William Kahn's work if anyone's interested Ooh. in knowing more about psychological safety. How do we do that in reality, Keith, do you think? Like, how do we not get this wrong. I remember listening to that episode where you talked about your female train driver because when I was at the insurance company where I started in comms we had um, I think we had about a thousand engineers on the road and four of them were women and we we did the same it was a, we need a, a photo get a woman get a woman show that plumbing is uh, a diverse and and welcoming <laughs> a, a, arena and of course it was you know but it was the default and and you exhaust people because they see through the very very best intentions that you do have and they feel used in terms of not getting it wrong i think that's a mystery because i think any reasonable person isn't gonna get upset 
if you're trying to do the right thing. And if you make a mistake while you're trying to do the right thing, mm. it's not really a mistake, it's an opportunity to learn more. You know, it, pronouns is a really good example. You don't have to know them all, you know, there's, I think there's 15 different types of, uh, of, of, of pronoun that somebody might Are they might really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it, there's, there's, oh. there's a lot. But you don't have to know them all, you know. If you enter every conversation with a new person and say, hi, my name's Keith, my pronouns are he, her, what's yours? Mm -hmm. You're already winning, you know. And, and actually then if you're in that conversation and you do slip up, well then you've already got an abundance of grace because you're trying, you're trying your hardest, you know. And, and I don't think any reasonable person is gonna stand opposite you or, or look at you as a as a, a comms function, and, gonna, and they're going to say, "Wait, wait, wait! You you've used you've used women too many times in 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 your photos, and therefore you're not inclusive." I don't. I think as long as people know the heart behind it, and we communicate mm. the heart behind it, you're not making mistakes, and you never make mistakes. Where you take it for granted, and where you allow for apathy to to get in the way, and and you become numb to the risks involved with what we're doing that's when that's when things get dangerous you know we have such a charge on our shoulders as comms experts to i hate that comms experts i'm not a comms expert as a comms winger sometimes why don't you feel comfortable saying expert i i just think there are better experts than me i'm a winger <laughs> definitely play it by ear every day for sure there's nothing wrong in saying you have expertise. Ex expertise is, is a good thing to have, I believe. I'm actually getting told off on air by, uh, by Rachel. I'm not telling you. I'm in mum I'm in mum mode. Mum <laughs> <laughs> Believe in yourself. It's it's it, I think it's okay to say you have expertise. Sit on that you... step and think about what you've just said. <laughs> can, can, can I do a Lego check in with you? Yeah, you where are you up on? to? I'm... Oh, I'm doing it. Yeah, same. You, oh, yeah. So no, <laughs> normally I would do it really uniform and I'm not at all. Normally I do it Just all. But I'm, I'm trying not to make too much rustly noise for Debbie because yeah, I've got a whole same. folder of, of me doing audio clips going, sorry, Debbie, when there's police starlings <laughs> going off. We talked about that on the final episode of season one. Poor Debbie. But she's con content with all of our audio bustling today. <laughs> sorry, Debbie. Oh, do you know um, what, though? I, I think yeah. about the pronoun stuff and one of the other things to remember as well it isn't isn't just about your sexual identity either if you think about people that have you know my name's keith riley you can't really make a mistake it's probably one of the most oldest whitest male names in the world you know um <laughs> but i have a friend called jitinder um mm -hmm. and the amount of times he's been misgendered because you see because people have seen annoyingly middle-aged white people like me have seen it written down and gone oh that must be a girl or that's a boy or whatever it does him a disservice now he is a, a cisgendered male he was born male he is male he's straight he has beautiful children but he has his pronouns on his profiles because it's just it's just easier and, and less of an issue when when he gets to meetings and people go oh you're a man it transcends everything and and I, I think people do worry about putting pronouns on and oh what's that gonna say and is that just wokeism a phrase I also detest but I'm not a fan of that phrase I will agree with you on that would you encourage people to put their pronouns against their their identity on online or in their email footers for example do you think that's a good thing to do I, I do we, we, we're doing a piece of work at the moment to, to do it from a branding position uh, in, internally so that all of our emails it's definitely optional for people so 
There are people that won't understand it, won't see the need to, but there are also people that are desperate to do it because, and actually one of the pieces of feedback we had when we were talking to people about it was, somebody said, I really want to do it, not because anybody needs to know, let, let's say her name is Rachel Miller. We do have a Rachel Miller that works for us, by the way, which makes me giggle. Do you? Um, yeah, she's in HR. You know, Rachel Miller might not need to put her pronouns on because of her name, but what it also does is display to everybody else that in, the, in that one little space that actually is a welcoming environment and we do care about how people identify. For me, it just shows more than anything, it shows that everybody's welcome. You know, and right there, you have an, an, an opportunity to show the people Everyone around awesome. you that everybody is awesome. There's always gonna be choice. Nobody has to do it, you know. No, there's, there's nobody out there mandating that everybody must do it. You know, I think that does come into dictatorship and, and nonsense, but if you care about the people around you and you want to make sure even if your name is boring like keith uh, if you want to make sure that the, the people not are boring. oh it's so boring do you know how many keiths <laughs> 2018 do you know how many keiths were born in the uk Go not on. born but named 18 Go. people in the uk oh. 1956 it was the most popular name in the uk was it so so um, you're vintage I'm archaic is what I am. <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to be thinking about what we can do as communications professionals to drive inclusion and act as allies in particular for our LGBTQ plus colleagues. See you in a moment. Comms friends, I'd love to invite you to join me at the Water Cooler every month. This is my email newsletter, which is packed with ideas, with jobs, with news, and the latest goings on in the wonderful world of internal communication. Head over to my website, allthingsic.com forward slash newsletter to add your name and join me at the Water Cooler every month. Welcome back. So bear with me, listener. I'm just finding my Lego minifig of all things I see. Here we go. Keith, can you can you see that, Keith? Look. Oh, look. Oh, so mine's like that. Uh, mine's not branded because I'm not that cool. But uh, yeah, mine's, mine's a little yellow, little yellow dude. Should I try and find him? Awesome. So let's do a Lego check-in before we yeah. jump into the rest of our discussion. How are you getting on with your build? Uh, yes, I'm good. I'm, I've decided to change these little bits around because I know they're in a nice straight diagonal, but everybody's on the internet is in a nice straight diagonal, and I just don't want to be like everybody else, which I guess is quite in keeping with the, <laughs> the theme. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to not take myself back too far and keep going forward. I want to know, uh, right, how much Lego have you actually got? <laughs> so I have quite a lot of Lego. So are we including my children or just me? I mean, you bought it, I'm sure, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's yours. So let me tell you the truth. So growing up, we couldn't afford Lego. I never had Lego in my house. Same. We had a Duplo set, which my mum still got. When I had my children, she put it in the dishwasher to kind of clean it after all, the, all those years. And so growing up, I never had a single piece of Lego. I, I did have Duplo, but I didn't have Lego. My brother had a Lego motorbike and I thought it was the coolest thing. I think one of my uncles bought it for him. And I was, I was very jealous of it. I thought it was awesome. And 
it wasn't until I was an adult really that I started to buy Lego for myself and I use it for mindfulness so my building time is time to myself and yeah. I solve so many problems for clients when I'm building because my mind is focused on being creative and it's it feels like a treat to build it. So I love the Lego creator sets. I think they're amazing. They're designed for mm. adults. So for my 40th birthday last year in 2020, I bought myself the Lego Grand Piano and that Ooh. was a joy to build. So in a long answer to your short question is I have a lot of Lego now because I, I encourage my children to build and I love their creativity. I love what they can do with a pile of bricks and the things that they come up with, which blow my mind how innovative and creative they are really naturally. It's not just my kids, that's, that's all kids. But my favorite ones are, I love the Lego bus. I love Big Ben. That was my first big kit really. My husband bought it for me three or four years ago for my birthday. And that was the first time I built a big kit. I've just ordered the Lego typewriter, which is brand new. And I'm super excited because love all things typewriter related. I have a teal typewriter in my office and that's what? a great combination, I thought. <laughs> what colour is the typewriter? So it's green and it's the traditional 1950s green. So it's modelled uh, after the Lego founder's original okay. typewriter, which is very cool. So it's... Oh, that's too cool. It's very cool. It reminds me of one my, my, my grandma had. So Keith, for the final part of today's episode, I wonder whether I can encourage you, as is the structure of all my Candid Qualms episodes, but one thing we need to know, one thing we need to do, yeah. and one thing we need to think about when thinking about the wonderful world of LGBTQ plus comms and inclusion and diversity. So what do we need to know? What's your recommendation? I would say the need to know is that you don't need to know it all. I think we kid ourselves if we think it can all be captured in a textbook, something that and I know there's lots of conversations around the statement I'm about to make, but something that is as fluid as somebody's gender identity isn't something that can just be whipped out of a textbook and stuck in a commerce plan and, and one size fits all. We kid ourselves, and actually we do ourselves as commerce professionals a disservice if we try and operate in that way. Recognise that the person standing in front of you, the audience that you're talking to, will all have different expressions of their own sexuality or their sexual identity and those differences will be different again based upon the cultures that they have been brought up with, their life experiences. No two persons journey is the same and therefore you, you do need to know that you don't need to know everything because we're all learning, even those of us who would class ourselves as part of the LGBT plus community. So what, what do we need to think about? I think We've just got to be really sensitive at every point mm -hmm. as to the message that we're putting across. And maybe I'll draw upon my point about the gender-neutral, family-friendly policies that we, we have at work. You know, that it seems like a really easy thing to do, and actually you, you might sit there and think that's quite a no-brainer, like changing those things, but words have an incredible amount of power, don't they? And we, we know that. And I think as long as we think about that, as, as long as we think about how we write even just the everyday stuff and how that might resonate with people, get interpreted by our colleagues, as long as we're mindful of that and we think about that, then I think you're, we're already in a good place. And it's yeah. okay to check, isn't it? When we're talking 
earlier about it's, it's okay to check for understanding and checking with the right people as well making sure that we have a consistency of, of language I think is always important and it's okay to say we're learning it's okay to say so okay we're trying this we're not, not we're trying this out but it's important to us that we get this right and therefore this is now how we're communicating and yeah. we're going to check in and check up on ourselves and actually if we need to make changes because phrases like you mentioned BAME earlier so black asian yeah. and minority ethnic some organizations do use that terminology and and it's okay I, I, for, you know they've decided mm -hmm. internally that that's okay and some organizations are actively discouraging their employees to use the, yeah. the term so i think that constant checking in is a really good habit to, to be in it always is uh, when we're trying to be clear as communicators so the final part is what do we need to do keith do you think 100 percent. i think we we've almost covered it you know the checking in the listening i don't think anymore that there's anything so confidential that we work on that touches on this space that can't be checked with anybody you know there's there's nothing i don't think in in the in the diversity and inclusion spectrum that would prevent us having a conversation with somebody who the comms might affect mm. i believe and i don't know whether it's just because i do have the freedom of of, of my my own my own sexuality my own identity that Maybe I feel a bit bolder in, in, in this kind of mindset. I don't know. And, and maybe we need to explore that another time. But I just think there's, there's, there's no way you can enter into a conversation with somebody and say, we're writing these communications. We have, we have to put out this message, whatever it's about. It impacts you. Can you sit down with me for half an hour? And can we just thrash it out? Find out how it makes you feel. Find out how, how you believe, you know, what you think about the company as a result of reading it. You know, it's probably the only subject where you've got license to go out to your market before you need to talk to your market. I feel like it's a really easy thing to do is to just go and ask people. I, I can understand why people are, would be reserved and, and, and uh, to a degree reticent to do it. Because they don't want to get if, it wrong, do you think? Yeah, exactly that, because yeah. they feel like they can't get it wrong. And I guess mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is, from my world, in in, in, in my perspective, if you don't have... If you don't have the existing relationships where you can, you know, if you don't have somebody in your ear, like I chew my diversity and inclusion manager's ear off. She doesn't have a peaceful day. Like every day I speak to her about something. What sort of topics do you bring up? On the basis that I doubt people will listen, I'll tell you something that's hot off the press. We're, we're arguing with ourselves about, arguing's wrong. We're having a really healthy conversation at work about the use of our logo and whether we should incorporate the pride flag um, or the progressive pride flag into it or not. And up until yesterday, we were on the side of, we don't do that, we won't do it externally, it's not what our brand is about. And not that we particularly are not supportive or anything like that, but we just, we can't do it in all locations, and so we don't do it in any, is, is the argument back. And that's, it's a valid argument, you know, the, the person that's that's countering our our challenge to do it is is a wonderful individual. I really respect her, but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel right. And so we we're having the conversation right now about whether we should or shouldn't do it. And I wrote an email today and sent it. And 
yeah, for those folks that I'm honoured to connect with on, on the social medias, um, will have seen yesterday I posted a picture of me wearing makeup. A fabulous picture I, of you wearing makeup. I told so you I, I have eyelash envy. You have an amazing <laughs> set of false lashes going on there, Keith. I um, have never, well, as I was going to say, I've never done that before. That's an absolute lie. I used to play with mum's lipstick all the time as a kid. Did you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I've never done it in that in, in that respect before. I've never um, wore makeup. Can you share what, what you were doing? Because it was part of a yeah, really important so, conversation you were having, wasn't it? Yeah, we have a schools programme at work which is aimed at high school aged uh, kids and we reach out to schools, I think it's once a month or a couple of times a month depending on what activities are going on and we we basically do a webinar or a series and we discuss the, these kind of topics and we go, we go into all manner of details but people are throughout the business are able to do it so we're going to do one at some point that explores the other side of the, the world of law from a PR and communications perspective. But yesterday's was a conversation around pride and LGBT plus um, issues. And we'd asked the network what we should do. There was a few people that said, we don't want to just do another panel event. We don't want to just do another talking at the camera Q&A. We want to do something a bit more interesting. But nobody could really, uh, we couldn't really, as I say nobody, like I saved the day, that's not true. We, as a group, couldn't sit and kind of materialise what we should do in our in, in our conversations. And it was only as a chance conversation with a really good friend of mine, Waz, who wears uh, makeup every day, um, that I said, do you know what would be really interesting is if if you come and talk to us about your faith, he's a British-born Pakistani, uh, he's Muslim, I said, it'd be really great if you could come and talk to us about that. And, and then, I mean, we were having that conversation over wine, so you can imagine how it escalated. Um, but very quickly that became, let's do that, and also you can put a face on me while you're doing it. And Waz is rarely out of makeup. Um, and so he was like, yeah, absolutely, I will put you in makeup. And that kind of went from there. So yesterday we did, we spent an hour with uh, kids from different schools. How old were they? Like high schools, how old Yeah, were they? so like, is that 11 to 15, 16? Mm -hmm. And we, I sat there and interviewed Waz about his faith, his background, what it was like to come out to his family, all while he put a fabulous pride rainbow look on my face and eyes. And I will include was. a picture in the show notes of this. Yeah, yeah so, I'll, because I'll, listeners, I'll, um, you need you need to see this. You will have some serious eyelash envy as well, I'm sure. It was there was a point where uh, I looked at myself and I was like, "Oh, this might have to be a regular occurrence." So many people have told me I look great in makeup. You and do. Then, what, what did Neil think? So. Neil just went, oh, okay, and the, and then left me to it. And I think he, uh, I think he could tell that I was getting incredibly giddy and finding it far too hilarious. So he just left us to it. Um, is this the, is this the wedding look? Are we, are you, are we going wow. in for the? I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like I did quite like the eyeliner and the smoky eye. So I think if I do go out again, that might make an appearance because it did make my face look a lot thinner. So um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not upset about that in the slightest. <laughs> I love your honesty. This is a candid conversation. This is, yeah. I mean, listen, this is what we promised you, but this really is. This is the joy of wearing makeup. <laughs> yeah. Brought to you by lost, Keith Riley. I love it. A good, good set of contouring, and I lost a few quid, a few pounds. So yeah, I'm, I'm not upset. But uh, it, we did it, and do you know what? The, what was great? The, the, the feedback that we had was great. The, the kids. We had loads of messages from school saying that 
It was great. There was uh, a message where somebody said, I want to wear makeup at school, you know, what I'm worried about being bullied and uh, all those kind of things. It, it, it was wonderful. The point of it was, for our internal friends, at work, for our internal colleagues, was more, I don't, you know, not, not one single person, no one single male guy has strutted the halls of a you know, listed law firm in full face of makeup. And actually what I was going to do this year, um, if we didn't have all this COVID stuff going on, I uh, was actually going to drum up engagement and, and involvement with our pride parade in a full business suit, but big set of heels and a full set of makeup and a wig. That was going to be my way of drumming people up to get involved with, with Pride this year. That would have been an amazing uh, thankfully <laughs> for my ankles because I know I don't want to do anybody a disservice out there that does wear heels. Thankfully I got out of it but I have put myself on it for next year so I will do it next year. Good on you. But the, 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 re the reason we did it, it's one thing to, to have a bit of fun and put on a bit of makeup and you know, make it all fun and, and engage in that respect. And it was, it was, it, we were larking around, I'm not gonna lie, it was just a good laugh. But it did break down quite a lot of barriers and I've had so many messages from people at work saying, not what you expect in a law firm, one, somebody, somebody messaged, and somebody quite senior in the business messaged and said, this is by far one of the best diversity and inclusion events that I've ever attended. And now that's not because of me and I'm not saying that because Waz or I did anything special, I mean, we were paid to lark about on camera with makeup, you know. But what we were doing was making it okay to have the conversation. We were making it okay for our organisation to ask questions about this stuff and and for people to say, well, is it common for blokes to wear makeup? Which is one of the, the questions. And, you know, it is. I shared that there was a kid I went to school with who was who was the kind of guy you'd look at and go, you're definitely a school bully. You the biggest kid, the biggest mm -hmm. muscles. It was terrifying to look at. And I remember meeting him in Birmingham a year or so ago, and he'd said, we'd talked about me coming out, and he was like, oh, could, you know, good on you, good on you. People have such issues with it, you know, what, imagine what they'd say to me if they knew I wear makeup. And I remember almost falling off my chair, and I was like, what, what do you mean you wear makeup? And he went, oh, I use concealer, I've got blemishes and birthmarks on my face, and he sat there and he rubbed, rubbed off this concealer, and of course, I had a birthmark, and he said, I don't, you know, I'm not ashamed of them, it's just easier to have a conversation with somebody when they're not staring at your neck to see what's on it. You know, it looks like tomato sauce. So I cover it so that I can have a conversation with somebody and I mm. can keep eye contact with them. And I, I just, you know, men wear makeup, it's fine. And, and now there's a law firm with 30 locations around the world who have accepted that men wear makeup. And for somebody at work, for that one person at work, that one guy, um, or that one transitioning individual that wants to wear makeup and has been terrified before, now they can. And that's just because I work for an organisation that let me lark around. And because I went to my diversity and inclusion manager, I went, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. And she was like, yeah, all right, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I didn't ask my boss. I told my boss, you know, I'm going to go and do this, do a, a webinar for the kids and I'm going to wear makeup. And she, she found it hilarious and was like, right, uh, I'll sign up, I'll sign up. I can't wait to see it. You know, there was no opposition no you know no, no, nobody said oh well, have you got the time or what's your diary like it was just a given that I would do it and and there was no challenge and great to have that support that's that's really nice we do have that culture so I'm not gonna say you know this we don't have that culture because of me but 
I can do these things because we have that culture and that's because we have a diversity inclusion manager and we have a leadership team who do let you get in their ear mm -hmm. that has been fostered and that comes about because we have and have had for a long time a communications team who are willing to listen to the people and champion uh, their thoughts and ideals and and really step in the gap and uh, and I guess a very 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 long answer to your last question is what do we need to do is I think it's our job to stand in the gap and, and, and make it easy for these kind of things to happen that's you a beautiful know. segue for me to show you my Lego where well, I'm standing oh, in the gap. Me. I'm standing Aye. in the gap where the green minifig should I'm, be. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I've put my old, I, you've been concentrating on on our conversation, as have I. But I've been able to build while you've been <laughs> talking as well. I think this looks stunning. I love it. I will obviously include pictures in the show notes. This is gorgeous. I'm very ha very happy with it. Yay! <laughs> I'm almost there. I've got probably about forty pieces left. But I it's can keep beautiful. Going. So I will include pictures in the show notes at allthingsdc.com forward slash podcast but it is a stunning build that was really satisfying and there's no extra bits as well which i've i've got so many little pots at home of like extra bits that you get when in case you know you case you lose lose a piece but it's very neat and very compact is, and beautiful it's going to live in my office and i will think of you keith when i look at this and remember this conversation i'm so thankful to you for sharing your thoughts with me and and with listeners i'd like to close our conversation if i may by asking you about the future of work in terms of internal communicators and diversity and inclusion and the reason for that is because back in season one um i interviewed amrit and she used to work in internal mm. communication and moved to becoming a belonging and inclusion manager at tarmac and I thought that was such an interesting transition from comms where it is our business to know our business to then move into diversity and inclusion um, and, and belonging in particular. Do you think we'll see more of that? What, what's your gut feel? I don't think I caught that she was is the belonging and inclusion manager. I think that's absolutely gorgeous. I want that title. Um, internal belonging and communications, how good would that be? If there was one job that would pull me away from communications, it would be definitely the diversity and inclusion role. And I think, for me, I see it as a completely natural segue because it's our job as communications people to, to really display what it means to love the organisation you're a part of. And I think there's a natural step into the world of diversity and inclusion. If we're championing the voices of our people, we need to champion the voices of all of our people. And so for a communications person to move into diversity and inclusion, I think it's I I think the job goes hand in hand. I think it's such a, a natural step, I guess. I agree I, I agree with you. I think it bring it brings out everything that you know about the organisation, everything you love about the organisation and you're doing so in amplifying not only our employees' voices, but their hearts as well, and and what, and what makes them special and, and unique inside our organisation, and helping share their stories and and bring those to life. I think you're right. I, th I think they do go hand in glove in terms it's of the um, the the only the only thing that I I would love to see if if it, you know if people aren't moving into that role and they do want to stay in comms, what I would love to see is is the industry move to do dedicated leads within a communications team. So. Mm. I have it by by default, you know, my, my, it's it's one of my main stakeholders and one of my objectives. But you know, we have change communications professionals. We have or, or technology and change. We have 
media professionals. Um, how great would it be to work for an organisation and be the dedicated DNI comms lead, and to actually have have somebody whose job it is specifically to communicate diversity and inclusion? I wonder I if that, that does that exist be... already. I'd love to know if anyone's listening to this thinking, well, that's what I do, or we have we have someone in our team. Do get in touch and let me know. I would I would, I would love, love to, to know that. You. I really would. Keith, thank you so much for having a candid conversation with me today. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm very chuffed with my Lego build. How are you getting on with yours? Almost there. I will send a picture at the end because I've, I've got too, far too into the conversation, so I've lost track <laughs> of what I'm doing. If people want to find you online, Keith, where's the best place? Oh gosh, everywhere. Twitter is where I do most of my angry tweets. LinkedIn, um, although... Give us your, your Twitter handle, much. Keith. How, so how can people find you? It's Keith Riley is my Twitter handle. Same on Instagram, but you'll only get food and dog pictures there. Uh, LinkedIn, I think it's Keith Riley Whittingham still on LinkedIn, but you, you'll find me. They're all connected. I will add your add your links in the in the show notes. But Keith, thank you so yeah. much for our conversation today I've thoroughly enjoyed it and it was really nice to build with you as well and yeah. apologies to listeners if they heard lots of Lego rustling we will share the pictures with you and you can see our beautiful creations and the importance of the mindset that everyone is awesome you, thank you so much for listening as ever I'd love to hear from you you can find me online at all things I see on Twitter I'm Rachel all things I see on Instagram find me on LinkedIn as Rachel Miller and the show notes are at allthingsic.com forward slash podcast. And remember, what happens inside is reflected outside. See you again soon.